This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church.
Um, when we talk here about becoming a disciple and we talk about you going around the bases, our goal as pastors and as a church is to see every day St. Church partner grow and learn and reproduce. Uh, not just for here, but also for the entire nation and beyond. And so let me just tell you, go ahead and get your passport and make sure it's updated uh, because we hope that you're going to be going soon. And sign up for the next discovery class that we need to take because God wants you, Christian, to be a missionary. He wants you to go and share the gospel, and so we're excited about that. Uh, Steve Wise, as was mentioned, I had today in Jacksonville, North Carolina, for a weekend disaster relief chaplaincy with uh, Billy Graham, Evangelistic Association, and Steve's praying with a lot of people and sharing the gospel with a lot of people, so remember to pray for Steve. Also remember through the week, especially pray for Pastor Tom Lee and his family. Uh, Sandra's mom, Audrey, I've known Audrey for years. She was here last Sunday in church. Uh, she's with the Lord today. She passed away yesterday morning about 10.30. And just something came on real fast and she was gone. And so pray for Sandra and, and uh, Jenny and Cindy and Lauren. And, and uh, Audrey, and I prayed with Sandra last night. I said, I said something about Audrey's 2,000 grandchildren because that was, that's about right. Uh, she just had lots of huge family. Going to be greatly missed. So pray for uh, pray for Louise and the extended family. We did not during the forty days. We did not celebrate communion together. So I'm anxious for us to come together around the Lord's table. So many of us in, in our church are coming to us from different backgrounds. Uh, faith backgrounds, and many of us came here with really no faith background. I think it's important uh, every now and then for to remind us, for us to know what communion is, what communion is not, and why it's an important part of our life as a church. I sat next to a guy this morning at breakfast, and uh, we started chatting together, and, and uh, he looked at me the way I dressed, as uh, I've already heard comments. All right, you look so nice today. And, um, it's never the guys that say that, thankfully. It's always the ladies. And uh, he looked at me and said, he said, you want to be dressed up for church? I said, yeah. And he asked me where I went to church. He told me a little bit about his growing up and his background and the church he went to and how, how that religion was rammed down his throat was his words. And uh, and we talked about different things. He said, I'm not really one of those people that does church. I said, oh, our church is for people like you. I said, you're, you're exactly the guy we're looking for. And so I invited him to come and maybe we'll be here sometime. I hope, I hope so. Um, what communion is, what it's not, why communion is an important part of our life as a church. Now, if we're honest, a lot of us grew up in church traditions, like that fellow I sat beside at the counter at the pier this morning. A lot of us grew up in church traditions. And from our youngest days, we saw communion. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Table. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. We saw that being part of a worship service. If you grew up Catholic, it was part of the Mass every time it was celebrated. Other traditions and denominations might have had communion weekly or monthly as we normally do, quarterly or whatever the, the pastors or the elders thought it was needed. But as a child, as a young child, or, or maybe a newcomer to a church a little bit older, um, you might have watched communion happen and take place, and it kind of, in most, let's be honest, in most churches, uh, when communion is done, there's really no explanation. It's just, here we go, and let's get it done, let's get it over with, and let's get out of church so we can be the Methodists in the buffet, all right? 
And so it's kind of in a hurry, and, and there's not a whole lot of excellent. Are any Baptists here today? Any, any Baptists here today? Like five of you raise your hands up. We're a Baptist church. I don't know. Hope you're listening this morning. You're right now. But you watched it happen whenever, whatever fashion that church did it, and you wondered about it. What did they do? And I remember as a little boy asking my mom, what is this all about? Can I have some of that bread? Can I drink some of that wine? You know, I remember asking those questions. And at the time when I was little enough to ask my mom, she wasn't even a Christian yet, but she was in church having communion. And uh, so I wondered a lot about it. I was in Belks not long ago um, on Saturday afternoon as Going in there, just looking around in the men's department, a lady and a teenage boy came up to me. I could tell there was a little bit of desperation because of what she said, but she said, she said, could you, we're buying this tie, could you tie the tie for him? That's boy, 15-year-old boy or something. He didn't know how to tie a tie. Could you tie it? I said, yeah, I can do that. I do remember church how to tie a tie. And so, could you do this for him? And, and uh, I guess I look like somebody who maybe knows how to do that. And she told me they were on their way to the Catholic Church where the young man is celebrating his first communion and giving to a tie. So I'm tired. And maybe you remember your first communion. I don't. Uh, but I remember when I was young, you know, my mother, as I said, had no personal relationship with Jesus. She was the organist in the church. She just had a relationship with the church. She would let me participate in communion. And because in my mind I had not been through the right steps, whatever those might have been in that church. So this morning I want to talk about communion. And uh, some of you, when, when I'm done explaining communion and talking about it, some of you may find that you're not yet ready to participate in it. And maybe you've participated in it for years, and you realize today I really never have understood it till now. That's a possibility. It might be the first time. And some of us here will hear the gospel clearly and want to accept Jesus by faith as their Savior. There is some confusion amongst some people that I've talked to over the years about accepting Jesus. Some believe, some churches teach that every time you, you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're receiving Jesus as your Savior. That's how they understand it. So if you ask them, have you ever received Jesus as your Savior, they look at you like you're kind of stupid. And they say, every time I go to church, I do it. After all, didn't Jesus say that the bread was his body and the cup was his blood? So did he mean that by eating and drinking at communion, we are receiving him as Savior? The answer to that actually is no. That's not what he meant. Communion, if you're taking notes, communion isn't a means to salvation. It's a command to those who are already believers. Not a means to salvation. It's not, I do this along with a, a, a list of other things that I've got to do, and that makes me a Christian. It's not that. That's not the purpose of communion. That means if you've always believed that taking communion is going to help get you into heaven, I've got some news for you, and you're mistaken. And this does not help anybody get to heaven. Can't do it. Let me let you know a secret. In the cups, it's grape juice, and in the trays, it's bread. Right? It's not Jesus. And by taking this, we can't go. This doesn't help us get 
to heaven. Christ's words in that first communion at the Last Supper were these. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to practice a little bit. One of the things that we learned in our study recently about pronouncing it. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't simply imply do this to make it into heaven. He didn't say that. Why not? Because that would make salvation a matter of doing good works. Make salvation a matter of me catching up and doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And the Bible's pretty clear that that's not how it happens. So, salvation is not a matter of doing good works. Well, what is salvation? You know, salvation, which means my sins are forgiven, my relationship is restored with God through Christ, and I have eternal life. Salvation is given to us by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. The word alone is important there. Grace alone, nothing else. Faith alone, in Christ alone. It's about Jesus plus nothing. Just belief or faith. Now, lots of verses tell us that. We're not going to take the time to read them this morning, but you can have them in your notes. I hope you'll go back and look them up. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. Um, John 3, 16. We can all say that together. Could we? God so loved the world that he is only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him. What else? No, that's what he believes in him plus what? Nothing. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. Shall not perish. Acts 16, 31. What must I do? The jailer said to Paul and Silas, What must I do to be saved? And Paul did it without a list and said, Well, you gotta start doing this and you gotta start doing that, and you gotta quit doing this and you gotta quit doing that. Is, what did he say? He said very, very simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Isn't that what he said? That's simple, isn't it? Jesus plus nothing. Christ alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's a simple thing. You recognize your own sin makes you separate from God, and on your own you can't get to God. So you accept what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you and for me and for all of us. Why? And what he did, he paid for our sin. He died our death by that act of faith that we exercise in him by that belief God gives you gifts. That's what grace means. It's a gift. God gives you in return for your faith, he gives you eternal life that starts right then and there at that moment. So that means for me, because I put my faith in Jesus, finally heard the gospel explained to me so that I could understand it as a 10-year-old boy. I heard it a few times and I finally said, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Ten-year-old boy. So I, I've had eternal life ever since I was ten years old when I trusted in Christ. Eternal life doesn't start, by the way, when you breathe your last breath and you die and you go to Jesus. That's not what eternal life begins. Eternal life begins the moment you are born again by putting your faith and trust in Him. And the bread and the cup. I need to get some out, so I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to get a cup out of this one. Bread and the cup, are symbols. To help us remember. To help us remember. Jesus said, here's that pronunciation method again, meditating on the word. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. You do this to remember me, he said. To remember me. 
God thinks it symbolizes important moments in the lives. But if you're married, chances are you probably wear a ring around one. Because I'm married, and I've been wearing this ring for a long, long time. So I took it off. I took it off, and I've been wearing this for a long, long time. Um, and if I take it off right now and, and, and put it in my pocket, it's no longer my finger. Does that end my marriage to Gail? Anybody disagree with that? Does not end my marriage to Gail because I took my ring off. And I know some some wives are kind of hyper about that. Don't you ever take that ring off? You put that on? You never take well, I promise her, I've never taken it off very long. But, but taking off the ring doesn't make me unmarried anymore. I'm taking the ring off and I'm still married. Why is, well, why is that? Please somebody listen to what I'm telling you. Because the ring... My ring is not marriage, is it? You know what this is? It's a symbol that says I'm married. In fact, our rings of mine on the inside of it is engraved. I can see this. It's engraved CGB. That's Gable. CGB to RSL. That's me. 61877. That was the day that we said our I do's and put rings on each other's fingers. That's sort of your ad medical. It's 41 years, right? This is a symbol that of the vows that I share with my bride and the covenant that we made to one another 41 years ago. Now, this is a symbol. The cup and the bread are symbols. This is not salvation, just like this is not marriage. Symbols. Everybody got that? Get it? Get it. All right, now. It's a symbol. The other symbol, by the way, that we have in church is baptism, which pictures what happens when we receive Christ as Savior. Then Paul explains that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. You can look that up later, but... It says, the old me, the old you, died to our sins with Christ on the cross. We were buried with him as though we were dead. And like Jesus rose from the dead, we were given new life by faith. Baptism doesn't accomplish that. We are not saved because we're baptized. Just like we're not saved because we take communion. It's a symbol. It's a picture of what took place when we received Christ. That's another sermon. Maybe we'll do that another time. Communion next to your notes is a time for the church to come together. It's a time for the church to come together. Now, there's another important word, and there's several important words in here, but one important word is the church. What's the church? Very simply, the church is those of us who are committed to one another and to Jesus by our faith. Now, what that means is this, and I know some people want to misinterpret this to make them, you know, well, I don't go to church, I just kind of hang out with God uh, at my house while I'm cutting grass on Sundays. That's me and God, and we're having our church. Um, and what that means is the church is, is us who believe coming together. You as an individual are not the church, right? You, I am not the church. We are the church when we are together and committed to one another and committed to Jesus by faith. The word church, I don't know why do you say that? Because the meaning of the word church, the Greek word that was given in the New Testament is ek, it's a compound word, ek, lesia, ek, out of, lesia, assembly. And it's a called out assembly from 
the world. It means a gathering, assembly. That's what assembly means. The church is an assembly. And so we call communion, it's one of the two ordinances that we have in the church. We call it an ordinance. It was first initiated by Jesus, the head of the church, and repeated by those belonging to local churches. We have examples in the New Testament of Jerusalem having communion together in Acts chapter 2. And, and in Corinth, in Acts chapter 11, we'll go to some of those verses in a moment, as Paul explains communion to the Corinthian church. In fact, in writing to the Corinthian church about communion, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said these words. Now, get, get the what he's saying to them. Verse 11, chapter 11. He says, since you come together, verse 18, I hear that when you come together, verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, verse 33, therefore, my brethren, brothers, when you come together, and then verse 34, how, so that you can come together. Now, you're a bright crowd. You've already had that extra hour of sleep this morning. You've had two cups of coffee. What are the common denominators of those verses? What two words are in all the same, all those verses? Please tell me. And Paul is writing here about communion. He's writing about communion. He says, when you, church, when you come together. So, the next point. Communion is our come-to-Jesus meeting with God and one another. Come to Jesus meeting. That's a phrase that we use sometimes, isn't it? You know what's meant by having a come to Jesus meeting. First Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. So a man should examine himself, and in this way he should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Come to Jesus meeting that means a, a real honest, open, transparent confrontation. Some of you employers, your bosses, your supervisors have had to have come to Jesus meetings with employees. You know, they're constantly showing up late, or they're lazy, or they're doing their job wrong, or not doing it at all, and you call them into your office and sit them down. And you may have even said, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting right now. That doesn't mean Jesus has just showed up in the room, all right? What it means is you're, there's a confrontation there about things that are not right. Communion is our come to Jesus meeting with God and one another. But what are we confronted with during communion? Several things. Mainly, we're confronted with the cross. Um, we're confronted with the cross. We're confronted with the reality that the only perfect man, the Son of God, on that cross died a horrific death there to free us from the sin that ruins us. That's our come to Jesus meeting. We come to the cross. Now, but let me also add this, this point. You only need to come to the cross one time in your life. And why are we doing it over again? Let me explain that. And when you come to the cross, and at the cross, then you acknowledge that first when I was 10 years old to the Savior, my lostness, my need for his salvation. I'm a sinner. I like to say it this way. This helps me. I like simple things. I'm a sinner. You're the Savior, and you're the only one who qualifies to save me. So I come to you, Jesus, as Savior. And there, at that one time, I accept his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And there at the cross, as the old gospel song said, all the burdens of my heart fall away. You ever sing that song in the old days? Sure. 
Well, two some of you still there. Now, whereby faith, it says, Father goes, whereby faith, I did what? Receive my sight. I went from being blind to see. Once I was blind, now I see. It was complete at the cross. And Jesus said at the cross, one of the things that he said there was, was just one word in the Greek, but in English, it's, it is finished. It's done. It's over. The man at the cross has a 10-year-old boy. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus, my sins were forgiven. How many of my sins were forgiven? The Bible tells me my past sins were forgiven. My present sins were forgiven. My future sins were forgiven. A lot of people go, how can he forgive your future sins? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, all of my sins were future. Do you understand that? He forgave them. He forgave them all. All were forgiven. Now, here's the truth. I'm going to confess this to you. Nobody knows this better than me. But I've got, got a hunch that you probably know it might be true for you as well. I still sin. I still sin. I still commit sin in my life. Don't you? So that's why we have community. We need to this come to Jesus time called communion. And here a communion, however often we might do it as a church, if your church might do it, wherever you're from, if you're a guest here today, we'll do it again on Christmas Eve. But when we come together for communion, we're confronted with the once for all, and that's a scriptural phrase, once for all payment for our sin. I'm confronted with my own frailty. I'm confronted with my own penchant. Again, as another old gospel song said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I'm confronted with that at communion. Now, I continue to sin even though I have been redeemed. And that word means I have been bought by Christ. Even though I've been redeemed from sin's hold on me. And seeing these symbols, this bread and this cup, seeing these symbols of the price that he paid brings me, and I hope it brings you, this is the purpose of it, brings us to that place of confession to him. Not a confession that I'm getting saved all over again. I've been saved once and once for all. But this coming to Christ and confessing to him, Jesus, I have sinned. I am wrong. I've been wrong. And I believe we can keep quoting these old songs today. Just as we sing, sing the song, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. I think the reverse side of the coin is true. When I confess my sins to God, I count them one by one. I name them to Him. Why? Because confession means to say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. God wants to hear me say, not that He doesn't know. He already knows I've sinned. He's aware of that. But God wants me to know what that sin is, and so I call it back out to God. God, here's what I did, and I'm so ashamed, I'm so sorry. Seeing these symbols of the price that he paid brings me to that place. God, I'm wrong. I'm sinned. I, I know that, but your mercy and your grace is, the Bible tells me, more than enough. Because you're faithful, God, here's the great thing about our Jesus. He's faithful to us when we're not. When we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Because you're faithful to me, Lord, when I'm not, you continue 
So seek me, the scripture tells us, he sees me as forgiven. He sees me as forgiven. God the Father sees me in Christ, the Bible tells us. That's how he sees us. That unconditional love that you have for me, Lord, convicts me. That unconditional love that you have breaks my heart before you. I don't deserve it, but I thank you for it. That's not what my confession is all about. I'm going to go to the Lord's table in a few moments and ask our band to come as I pray. Would you bow with me as I do? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, just before we sing a couple of songs to get us prepared, give us time to confess. Maybe you should participate this morning. I would say if you're a born-again believer in Christ, it's not up to me to determine that you do. The Bible tells me Christ has commanded us to do this. But we're also commanded first to come clean with the Lord about our hearts and to come clean with other believers that we've sinned against. So as these songs are being sung, you may need to speak to the Lord. You don't have to sing. Maybe what you need to do is just talk to the Lord through the Lord during the songs about some things. You may need to leave your seat and seek out somebody that you wronged and made it right. And maybe this morning you're here and you should only participate by watching and listening. If you've not yet put your trust wholly and completely in Christ alone, that would be you. Just pass the trace of God. Trusting in Christ alone means I'm not trusting in any good works, not in my church membership, not even in simply believing there is a God. And I believe there's a God. That's not it. But we would love to explain to you more how you can become the right people. So, Father, would you allow us now to experience that cleansing that comes with confession? Whether that confession right now is to you or whether that confession is to someone else in my life or wrong. In Jesus' name I pray. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.